0: Let your continual mercy, O Lord, cleanse and defend your church. And because it cannot continue in safety without your help, protect and govern it always by your goodness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.
1: A reading from Joshua 24. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell but as for me and my house we will serve the Lord then the people answered far be it for us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt and out of the house of Israel out of the house of slavery And who did great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God, he is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression, transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do harm, do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, "No, but we will serve the Lord." Then Joshua said to the people, "You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him." And they said, "We are witnesses." He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and in place statues and rules for them at Shechem. The word of the Lord. Be to
2: God. I'm reading from 2 Corinthians 6. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst, and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves with every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the of God the word of the lord be to
3: God. this is the gospel of our lord jesus christ according to john
0: glory to you lord christ
3: when many of the disciples heard it they said this is a hard saying who can listen to it But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning those who were not will not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believed, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord
0: Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We celebrate that you have conquered death, that you reign over all things. We pray, Lord, um, that uh, through your spirit, through your church, you continue to grow us as your disciples. We ask all this in your holy name, Amen. I personally find this moment recorded um, in uh, John's Gospel, which uh, Deacon Cheryl just read for us, one of the most sort of moving interactions between Jesus and his disciples, and specifically the twelve. Uh, there are many moments uh, like that, um, but I'm always struck uh, by this moment. Uh, struck, first of all, that you you know John records that as Jesus is teaching hard things that there are those whom he calls disciples who up until this point have been following Jesus who decide in light of this teaching that they just can't do it anymore. And they are told that many um, no longer walk with him and turned back. So that's sobering uh, to think uh, that, um, again, as Jesus spoke the truth to them, it was too hard for many of them. But then you have this moment of vulnerability where Jesus turns to the 12, right? His, his closest followers and says to them, do you want to go away as well? Um, and Simon Peter speaks up, which, you know, when Simon Peter speaks up, you never are really sure what you're going to get um, in the scriptures if you've read the Gospels or the book of Acts uh, for that matter, right? Will this be a good Simon Peter moment or will this be a moment where once again he gets rebuked, all right? We, we don't know. And it starts a little iffy, right? Whom shall we go? Right, is Peter basically saying, you know, Jesus, we just don't have any better options. You know, no one else will take us. You know, we're kinda stuck here. So those folks can leave, but oh well, too bad for us. But then he goes on and says, What is so important? You have the words of eternal life. Where else are we gonna go? You have the words of eternal life. Maybe your words are difficult, maybe your words are challenging, maybe following you means persecution means even death, as it did for many of the twelve. But we have no other options because only you have the words of eternal life. We have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What a picture of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. To get to that place where we say, Lord, it may not be easy, but you're our only option. Because you are the Holy One of God. And to follow you is the only thing that we can do. It's as Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I believe in our Second Corinthians passage today that it is that vision for discipleship, right? To be one who is completely submitted to the Lord. The one that says, only you are the Holy One of God. Um, that it's a concern that the Corinthian church doesn't lose that. that they, they don't move away from that place of discipleship, that place of submission to the Lord. That Paul gives them this commandment. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Right? His concern is... Right? Will you be influenced? Will you come under the the powers, the forces that would pull you away from that life of discipleship? Right? He is concerned, right, that they um, uh, not bring their holiness to completion, as it says at the end of the passage, that they would continue to grow as those who are set apart for the Lord, submitted to Jesus, not perfect, but continuing to follow Him. Right? But what does that warning mean? What does it mean not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers? Depending on your background, if you grew up in the church, um, my guess is, um, it, again, many of you probably have heard this um, passage, or specifically actually this verse, uh, that first part of verse 14 used, specifically in regard to marriage. That seems to be the place I most often hear it, right? And as an um, uh, encouragement to Christians seeking to be married to not marry a non-Christian, right? I feel like that's the kind of, this is a key verse that's used in that way, right? And I want to speak to that and how this applies to marriage um, in just a minute. But first of all, we should note that actually the passage doesn't talk about marriage. It doesn't mean it's not applicable, um, but he's not actually speaking about marriage in this and the greater context doesn't speak about marriage. So a good place to start is like, well, what's going on here? Why does he suddenly say, don't be um, unequally yoked with unbelievers? Where is this coming from as best as we can tell? If you were here two weeks ago, Um, we we weren't in Second Corinthians last week in our outdoor service, but we were two weeks ago. We were in the passage before this. That passage actually began with um, Paul uh, expressing his concern to the Corinthian church. And again, these things are for us, not just for the Corinthian church, but the Lord is speaking to us through Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. His concern, where he says, "I do not want you to have received the grace of God in vain," right? And that concern, I believe, came out of Um, the false teachers, um, false apostles, Paul calls them. Sometimes they're called super apostles. These teachers who had gained influence in the Corinthian church and were basically teaching many things that were contrary to the gospel, right? They were calling themselves Christians, but we can see in this letter, right, that they were teaching things that were actually pushing people away from the Lord and that Paul believed were contrary to the message of the gospel. And so when he says don't believe in vain, um, his concern is, right, you know, what you've received – Will you let go of that? Will you walk away just as those disciples did um, after Jesus' hard teaching? Will you turn away from the Lord because of the false teachings that you're receiving? I want to be clear, not that Jesus was teaching a false teaching, but again, people fell away. The, they they um, stopped following him. All right, And so, again, it was connected to those false teachers. At the end of the reading, right before this, Paul says, my heart is open to you, Corinthian church. Open your hearts to me. Right, And so um, there's this invitation, continue to trust in my leadership. Right, I, I've invested my life in you. Continue to, to follow me as a leader as I follow Jesus. And so right after that, then he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So it seems like in the context of very likely he's speaking to, don't follow these false apostles. Don't be yoked to these false teachers who are leading you astray. So that's one possibility. Of what specifically is going on here? Again, there's all sorts of application, but sort of the specific reason. Others argue that actually what Paul's concern here is idolatry, and we idolatry is mentioned. What agreement is the temple of God with idols in verse 16? If you've read and studied First Corinthians, you know that's a huge issue in First Corinthians, and so it was a big issue in Corinth. And so maybe his concern here, which he's revisiting after talking about it in the letter to 1 Corinthians, he's coming back to it again here, um, this uh, temptation that many of the Corinthians had to sort of engage sort of in idol worship, right? It doesn't seem like the issue was so much that they were saying, we're going to stop worshiping Jesus and start worshiping idols, But because Corinth was so sort of immersed in idolatry, it wouldn't be unusual, for instance, to go to like a dinner party that just happens to be hosted at a pagan temple. And part of that dinner party is sacrifices to idols. And a question that seems like Paul got from the Corinthian church was, well, can we do that, right? I mean, we want to hang out with our friends. Can we do that? Because we know we don't really worship idols. We worship the Lord. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians, warns him against that and says, basically, you know, when you're doing that, you're participating in demonic activity. You may say it means nothing to you, but there are spiritual forces at work. He says, can you receive the cup of Christ and also receive the cup of demons, right? Tying it into, can you receive communion but also participate in this idol worship? And clearly the answer is no. And so you can see even in that question a similarity to the questions he's asking here, right? Can you do both? How can these two things be connected? So again, kind of keeping in mind that those specific uh, possibilities of what's going on here, then I think it's important to ask the question, why does he use that imagery of yoked, of being yoked with unbelievers? How is that significant? As many of you know, um, you probably heard, you know, a yoke, and they're still used um, today. It's like this harness, typically used for two animals. So a harness put over two animals so they could pull a cart or pull a plow, right? And so there's an image of partnership, certainly, in being yoked um, to, to someone, Right? And you can imagine if uh, uh, a yoke was put on an ox and a donkey, that there would be a problem. Right? I think ox are much stronger than donkeys. I don't know these things. It's what I read in books. Uh, right? But you wouldn't have, you know, your plow or your cart going straight, right? Because there's an unequal um, partnership um, there. And so when we see, obviously, the imagery of partnership being used right, right after he talks about being unequally yoked. He says, For what partnership is righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship? What portion? Right? And so you have these images of, you know, partnering together in an unequal way. That's also helpful to think through how else is yoke used, specifically in the New Testament. How do we see the yoke, you know, yoke imagery being used? One place, right? One beloved place. Matthew 11. If you remember that teaching, the end of Matthew 11 where Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Right? After the last year and a half, I think that's all of us, right? So we're all like, that's me, right? Weary and heavy laden. Jesus invites. Right, us to come to him. But then he says, put my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's saying to come to me, to put your faith in me is actually to be yoked to me, to receive sort of this yoke upon you. And so it's clear there's an image of partnership there, right? To be a follower of Jesus is in a sense to be partnered with him, right? And we do ministry, right? It's the Lord working through us as we serve the Lord. But there's also clearly an imagery of authority there, Right? We're not just partners with Jesus, right? One of the partners is in charge, and it's not us; it is Jesus. And so, to be yoked to Jesus is yes, to be connected to Him, but it's to be under His authority. Right? Just a little side note: I've mentioned this before, but these um, stoles um, that we wear have come over time, you know, in tradition to, to symbolize yokes. Right? And so, those of you wonder, like, why do the clergy wear those fancy things? Well, there's symbols; there's meaning there. Right? It shows right any authority I have as a pastor, as a clergy is from being yoked to Jesus, right? He's the one with the authority, right? We are called to submit to him. All of us are, but this reminds pastors um, that that's um, our calling, right? To be yoked to Jesus. In Acts 15, um, there's uh, the debate among the early church, right? Um, What does it uh, mean to invite those who are non-Jewish to be part of the church? And as they're debating that, Peter speaks up and he talks about being under the law and he talks about the law being like a yoke, which again captures Right, that there's an element of authority. To be under the laws, to be under the authority of the law. And in the book of Galatians, another place where, you know, another letter of Paul's, he talks about throwing off the yoke of slavery, like living in freedom in Christ. And again, yoke of slavery speaks to, right, there's authority, there's something controlling you, influencing you. And so as we think about being unequally yoked with unbelievers, right, it certainly speaks to partnership, but it also speaks to being under the influence, under the authority. Under the power, right? And we can see that both in regard as he's speaking about false teachers, as he's speaking about idol worship, both have that power dynamic to them. So I think that's key. Now also important as we consider these verses, actually there's another place in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul is speaking about sexual immorality in the church and how to address that. And he says very clearly, look, I'm not saying that you can't associate with those who are not believers, who are not Christians, who are sexually immoral. And he says, and for that matter, you know, um, those who are swindlers, those who are greedy, right? Those who are idolaters. I'm not saying you can't associate with people in this world who engage in those things. Because then he says, if, if I was saying that, you'd have to leave the world. Like, how are you going to live your life, right? Not associating with those with different morals than you, right? And even more important, how are we going to be salt and light? How are we going to love our communities and bless and serve those if we're constantly saying, oh, I can't be in any relationship with unbelievers, right? So clearly, I mean, you can read this out of context and wonder if that's what Paul's saying. Clearly, he's not saying that, right? He makes it very clear he's not, and Jesus makes it very clear that is not what we're called to. So once again, right, it's, it's, a, it's about a partnership. It's about coming under authority, right? But it doesn't mean non-relationship um, at all, right? There's something more there. Significantly, though, after Paul says that, he does say, but beware, right? He warns against, right, um, uh, coming under the influence of those who call themselves Christians, But teach a different morality. So he's saying, look, for those that have different morals that are not believers, right, of course that's going to be the case. But beware of being influenced by those who call themselves Christians but teach something different than what the Scriptures teach. Okay, so then we have um, this extended um, uh, scriptural quotation. It's actually three Scriptures, maybe four, depending on how you understand it here. So if you're reading them thinking, where is that in the Scriptures? It's in multiple places, right? And so Paul, as always, is wanting to back up. Look, what I'm saying is consistent with what God has um, already said um, in the Scriptures. And you see right in the middle, right, that's from Isaiah, um, a warning. Go out from their midst. Be separate from them, right? Be holy, right? And so there's, there's clearly a warning there, right? I'm not making this up, right? God calls us to holiness, but it's surrounded, this sort of couched between promises of belonging to God, right? Why do we seek to be holy? Why do we, you know, seek not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers? Well, because we belong to God. We are his people, we are his sons and his daughters. And that both speaks to the why. Why do we, you know, seek holiness? But it also is an assurance, as an encouragement. Look, this, this command doesn't come out of fear. I mean, it comes out of a fear of, the, of God. <laughs> you see that at the very end, which has been sort of a theme over these last um, few weeks, comes out of an awe and a submission to God. But it's not because we're afraid of people. Right? It's because we want to remain as a disciple, and we're honestly acknowledging the influence that others can have on us. But again, we come from this place of assurance in the faithfulness of God and His power. So I believe as we think through this, we have to hold both those things, right? Our kind of vulnerability, our weakness, our ability actually to be drawn astray from the path that the Lord calls us to alongside God's power and God's faithfulness, the reality that we belong to Him. Both are true. I think both inform this. Right, so, if we think about, well, what does this mean for marriage? Right? How does this apply to marriage? And I do think, right, in marriage, right, there is that element of spiritual influence, right? I, I think that's really, in many ways, at the heart of what he's getting to. Again, whether he's talking about false teachers, whether he's talking about adultery, the issue is coming under influence, coming under spiritual powers that will pull you away, right? And in a marriage, there should be spiritual influence the spouses have on one another, right? I mean, that's part of the joy of marriage, actually. the... the opportunity, right, the natural sort of building up in faith that can happen between a husband and a wife. And so that is a dynamic, right? There is, a, you know, authority and power at work there. And so my counsel to, to Christians that are seeking to be married is, is to marry another Christian, right, and, and, and to, to be very clear about that, right? I do think there's an unequally yokedness that can happen marrying to an unbeliever. And so I think that's an application here, now, having said that, though, we should also be clear, once again, in 1 Corinthians, when Paul talks about marriage, he is very clear, and he says, to those of you that are married to unbelievers, to those of you that are disciples of Jesus, that you are married to someone who is not, stay married, right? He doesn't say, you know, leave them, you know, get out of that relationship. No, he says, honor the marriage vows you've made. Stay married, and he's says saying, very curious, he says, because in your marriage, you actually make your spouse holy, right? So he's, he's saying, you have an influence on them in your marriage. Now, that doesn't mean you make them holy, therefore, it's guaranteed that if they're not a Christian, eventually they will become a Christian, right? He doesn't say that. That often happens, praise God, right? And you can always pray for that. He's not saying that, but he is saying, look, God's at work in you. And so you're going to influence that person you're married to. Now, maybe this feels a little bit like a contradiction. It's like, okay, well, which is it, right? I mean, is it that we influence others or they influence us? And I believe it's both, right? I believe both are at work, And so, yes, a crisis that worked within us, of course, we're going to influence those that we're in partnership with, right? Of course. But also, at the same time, we have to acknowledge, again, we're vulnerable. There are weaknesses we have. And there are powers that would want to pull us apart from the Lord and from following Him. And we have to acknowledge that as well. Again, I think actually Paul's instructions around marriage help us to do both, even if it feels a little bit like, well, which one is it, right? Well, some of it depends on where you're at, right, and, and where, you know, you find yourself. Trust in the Lord. Trust in His power work within you. But be aware of how vulnerable and weak we are apart from the Lord and how, again, susceptible we are to being pulled away from life as a disciple. And maybe then you read this and you think, okay, well, that's great. Why didn't Paul give like more of an extended list, right? Because you can actually start to read this and think, what does that mean for business connections, right? What does that mean for vocation? What does that mean for education, right? You know, what teachers can I sit under and learn from? And what teachers should I say, oh, maybe I shouldn't be under this teacher. What does it mean for entertainment, right? What does it mean for music I can listen to, right? We can start to wonder, what does unequally yoked look like? And my encouragement actually to you is that even though Paul doesn't give us a list, what we do have is the Holy Spirit and the church, right? And so as we think through this, what does it mean to be unequally yoked? How do I take seriously this, this warning um, coming out of, again, a desire for holiness? Well, listen to and seek the leading of the Holy Spirit, that we can um, ask the, the Spirit to give us discernment, right, and, and in humility. Again, I think a key point as we wrestle with this question is, Lord, may I honestly see my areas of weakness, May I see where I'm vulnerable, right? And so um, that's part of it. But also, Lord, may I see your strength and your power at work within me. And so there's an honesty and humility in seeking the Lord and seeking discernment here, but also to take advantage of the church, of the people of God, I know many who have been in a situation where they're like, is this an unequal yoke? Whether, again, it's marriage or something else. Seek out those who've gone before you. Seek out those that have wisdom in that area. Those who perhaps have experiences, maybe have learned from mistakes, maybe have learned from God's work tap into the church in this, um, uh, in this question. All right, again, there's a warning not to be unequally yoked, but as we take seriously that warning, we can also celebrate the ways in which we are rightly yoked. Right, we are rightly yoked to Christ as we submit to him. So we can pray for wisdom. We can pray for guidance from Jesus. And we are yoked with fellow believers, right? We are called to influence one another. And we can tap into that and seek out wisdom and discernment from one another. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray for wisdom. Uh, Lord, we ask that um, in the situations we find ourselves in, that there would be a humble wisdom, a discernment, Lord, of, of, from hearing your voice and from, again, seeing ourselves rightly, both perhaps the weaknesses that you are shoring up in us, but also the strengths that you have built us up in and given to us. And, Lord, um, as we pray for wisdom, we pray for faith, Lord. That as we follow you, we would not be afraid, but we would have a right, holy awe of you. And Lord, I pray for any who are in a place right now where this is a very much a live question for them. That you would lead them, you would guide them, you would give them wise counsel. You would give them even the vulnerability of seeking out prayers and insight from others. Lord, may we rightly be yoked to you. May we rightly be yoked to one another. May we grow as your disciples. May all of us um, live in that place where we know that you and you alone have the words of eternal life. We ask all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.